Well, good morning, Timber Creek. How we doing today? Oh, come on. You can do better than that. How we doing this morning? Awesome. Well, it's good to have you here today. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's an honor to, to get to share with you this morning as we continue in our Summer Vibe series, uh, a walk through the book of Philippians. And uh, But first, I just want to say, man, what a great summer we've had so far. It's hot. Amen. It's hot. It's even hot in here a little bit. I see everybody fanning with their, with their worship guys this morning. It's a hot summer, but man, we have been busy here at Timber Creek Church. It's been an awesome summer. Uh, we've done missions trips. There was a, tr- a group that went to Puerto Rico a couple weeks ago that, that from both campuses led by Pastor Dan Chanowski, our Nacogdoches pastor. Uh, we had about 160 teenagers that just got back from youth camp yesterday that had, yeah, some of them right here, and uh, just had an incredible, incredible four days while they were at youth camp, and uh, I shared in first service, I was sitting this morning just kind of praying and thinking about today, and it hit me that, uh, and I'm going to date myself, but it was 30 years ago this month that I went to youth camp as a 13-year-old kid, and uh, my life changed forever. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for the camp I went to when I was 13 years old up in northern Montana, and God changed my life forever, and now I'm, now I'm doing this, and so grateful for what God's done over the last 30 years, and uh, excited for our teenagers, and also our kids. Uh, their little ones are going to be going to kids camp next weekend, and so there's a lot happening. We also did something for the first time that we call Week of Hope uh, at the Nacogdoches campus, up in Nacogdoches, Pastor Dan and his team and, and individuals from the campus, they went into the community. You can see some pictures here of how they went in and just served the community that week just a couple weeks ago, and they partnered with organizations and corporations there in Nacogdoches, and were just a blessing to so many different people in lots of different ways, and uh, it was an incredible, incredible week, and so let's give it up for Nacogdoches and their campus and the impact they made at Week of Hope a couple weeks ago, and hey, here in Lufkin, don't feel left out because in a couple weeks, we're going to do the same thing right here in Lufkin. It's the last week of July, the 25th through the 29th. We're going to have our own week of, her, a week of hope here in in Lufkin, and we've partnered with some great organizations and going to do some great things from 8 a.m. to about noon because we know it's it's just crazy hot in the afternoon, amen? And so our goal is to just do it right there in the morning to about lunchtime, and we're going to have an incredible, incredible week. One of the neat um, organizations that we're partnering with is called the Rainbow Room, and they partner with CPS, and they help children that are um, in that transition time there, and, and they provide lots of different things, especially for the little ones like diapers and wipes and and. and you can only imagine that they have a hard time getting a hold of some of those supplies. Well, when we show up that week, one of the things we're wanting to do is over the next couple weeks, you can purchase some diapers and wipes if you feel led to and bring them to the campus on Sunday mornings and drop them in our foyer. We've got a, uh, just a display set up already with some diapers already donated, and we're excited to bring them that week to just show up with a ton of supplies for the Rainbow Room, so we're excited about that, along with a lot of other things we're going to do that week. So if you're interested in being a part of that, we need your help. We We'd love for you to sign up to help serve that week. I know it's during the work day, so maybe there's a day or two that you can get away from work and help us out from 8 a.m. till lunchtime. Um, but you don't want to miss out because it's going to be an incredible week of impact for Week of Hope right here in Lufkin the last week of July. And so, again, it's just been a great summer, a busy summer, and I'm excited to jump right back into our series on the Book of Philippians, our Summer Vibe series. 
And we've been talking a lot about happiness. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy kicked this series off. Pastor Cameron, our, our youth pastor, uh, next-gen pastor, uh, he did a great job of uh, continuing the series last week. And it's my opportunity this week to, to dive in as well. But before we jump into the topic today, each week we're, we want to remind you of some facts about happiness. Because really, happiness, a lot of people have different thoughts and views and have the wrong views on happiness. So here's a couple quick uh, four facts on happiness that we want to share with you guys. Number one, I don't find happiness, I create it, right? We can't forget that. We create it. We don't just find it, right? It's not always available to us to just find it whenever we want. We create it. Number two, happiness is not the right goal. It's not the right goal. It's a byproduct of right thinking, Right thinking, it's a mindset, right? Number three, another thing about happiness, another fact is happiness built by happenings is short-lived, right? How many of us have found that out to be true, right? And then number four, happiness built by the right habits is sustainable. And hopefully this series is helping you build some new habits towards, uh, towards happiness and, and what God wants to do in and through our lives. And so let's jump in this morning. And I've got the privilege of talking about happiness as well today, but I'm gonna hone in on happiness in the workplace. Uh, okay, all right, all right. A uh, little, little bit more cheering this service than there was first service, but that's okay. Um, some of you, I just said the workplace, happiness in the workplace, and there's a few of you that just, you, you said, yeah, I, I like my job. I like going to work every Monday morning. I love who I work with. I'm just, it just fills my tank. I love my job. I love where I work, and that's awesome. I hope that's for a lot of you guys. Now, there might be some of you in the room that when I said happiness in the workplace, you might have some other adjectives to, uh, to describe your workplace, okay? For some of you, maybe your blood pressure just spiked when I said happiness in the workplace, your stress, your anxiety just went up because I reminded you that tomorrow's Monday morning, and you got to go back to that place of work, and I apologize. Some of you are like, man, I'm about to walk out because I, it's, it's not Monday. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about work. And so, but today, if you allow me to, we're going to talk about happiness in the workplace. Some may describe their workplace as happy, a good place, a healthy place. And again, some of you may not, right? The, the, the environment of your workplace, for example, may be healthy. It may be a great place to be, right? It's, it's not perfect, but it's a great place to be. And, and you would describe it as healthy, but for some of you, maybe you would describe it as unhealthy. Maybe it's the culture, right? It's the culture of your workplace that just makes it either happy and a good place to be or a place that's not very happy and maybe even, maybe even toxic at times. Uh, maybe it's that coworker, right? That one coworker or multiple coworkers that, that makes you love your job and love your workplace or maybe the opposite, right? Maybe it's that coworker, that group of coworkers that just kind of drives you a little bit crazy and it makes, you hard to, it makes it hard to get up every morning and head to work. Maybe it's your boss, right? Maybe it's that boss that you just absolutely love and that's a big reason why you love your workplace or the opposite. Maybe it's your boss that makes it more difficult and makes it a place that it's not the happiest place on earth, right, to go to every single day. Maybe your boss is kind of like some of these guys um, here's one guy, anybody recognize him? Michael Scott from The Office. I, I said in first service that I wouldn't mind him as my boss. I mean, he's a little bit crazy, but it would be entertaining for sure if you've ever watched the show every day. Um, here's another guy, 
from a TV show. Um, Ron Swanson, maybe your boss is a little bit like him. If he is, I apologize, I'm sorry. For some of us in the room, we have this boss. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've seen that face a time or two in a meeting, <laughs> hoping and praying it wasn't towards me, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, no, this is Pastor Jeremy, and he's on vacation right now, and I'm picking at him, and it's not really fair because he's not here to defend himself. But let me tell you something. Uh, that's all kidding aside, man, we have an incredible boss, and, and I am just so thankful. I've been in ministry for 20 years, been at different churches, different ministries, and Timber Creek is top-notch. And uh, I love the people I work with. I love the culture. We work very hard at our culture here, um, not, not just within our staff and our ministry staff, but also within our dream teams. We're intentional about it to the point that we've named things. We've called it out and said, that's the kind of culture we want to be like. And we work very hard to, to make it that way and, and, and create that kind of culture. And it all comes from the top down. And it comes from Pastor Jeremy. He's the real deal. And we love him very much. And I mean, he's, he's a great boss. Yeah, he has to be that sometimes. He is that. Um, and we're thankful for that. But he's also a great friend. And he's a great pastor. And he wears all three of those hats very well. We love him. We, we're so thankful for him. Let me tell you something, I would follow him anywhere, anywhere he leads, except, except on a bicycle. Um, I'm never gonna follow him on a bicycle again. Um, here's the deal, he goes mountain bike riding different places. He took his dad, his dad crashed and broke his collarbone. He took his son Graham, Graham fell off and busted his head, had to get stitches, staples, it was pretty crazy. And then a couple weeks ago, as he shared, I was following him, I was behind him on the bike path. The year before, I went to the same bike park and I didn't crash one time, but this time, I was behind Pastor Jeremy, following my great faithful leader, and uh, I crashed and I broke my elbow. So uh, I love him and I'll follow him anywhere, but maybe not on a bicycle much anymore, um, unless it's just like a, a, a sidewalk that's really flat and uh, that kind of thing. So, but no, we love him. He's an incredible man and we can't wait to have him back uh, when he gets back soon. But let's jump back into this. Um, I want to start right here. When it comes to this idea of happiness in the workplace, here's the news. Here's the deal. It starts right with you. It starts with you. It starts with me. If we truly want to see happiness in the workplace, if we truly want to be happy in the workplace, here's the deal. It starts with you. It starts with me. In fact, part of that culture code I talked about, not only do we have a culture code for our staff, but, but we have one for our dream teamers. Part of the dream team culture code is this statement here. We're thermostats, not thermometers. You might say, well, what's, what's that all about? You know the difference between the two, right? A thermometer, what? It gives you the, this is where you answer out loud, it's okay. The temperature, right? It gives you the temperature, right? It tells you what the temperature is, right? If your temperature's high or low, when your kids are sick, you, you check their temperature, right? And so a thermometer is going to give you the temperature. It's gonna tell you what the temperature is. A thermostat, on the other hand, it's gonna allow you to adjust the temperature. Good job, you guys are with me. All right, and so it allows you to adjust the temperature. What does this have to do with being happy at work? Well, thermometers reflect the surrounding temperature. Good, bad, healthy, unhealthy, energy, no energy. It just, it reflects that temperature, right? But a thermostat, it sets the temperature. So in the context of a dream team, we tell, the dream, tell all of our dream teams that because when you walk in on Sunday morning, 
You've got a choice. It's about you. It's about me, right? We can walk into the room, and we may feel that the temperature is healthy or unhealthy, but at the end of the day, it's up to us. We can adjust the thermostat by having the right attitude, the right mindset, and all that. And it's the same thing when you go to work. It's the same thing when I go to work. We have to have the right attitude and the right mindset. The question you have to ask yourself is, do I make the workplace better and brighter when I walk into it? And uh, that's a tough question to ask, but it all starts with you, it all starts with me, and the right focus, the right attitude every time we walk in the door. It's really an intentional decision that you and I make every single day, to be a thermometer or a thermostat. Speaking of intentional decisions, we just saw a, a Real great video by Global Leadership Summit. And uh, I don't know if you were with us this last year. Uh, we did it for the very first time, hosted it here at our campus in Lufkin, at the Lufkin campus. We're doing it again this year on August 4th and 5th. And we want to invite you guys to be a part of that. We're talking about the workplace today. We're talking about being intentional. And I can't think of a better way, a more intentional way to grow your leadership. Because here's the deal. You're a leader. And when the leader gets better, everybody gets better. And we wanna see you get better. We wanna see your organization get better. You know that boss that maybe uh, uh, creates a little bit of an unhealthy, drag him with you. Come to GLS, join us, be a part of it. And hey, for the next 10 days, we have a special offer that we wanna let you guys know about. Normally it's about $229, but for the next 10 days, just for our Timber Creek Church family at all of our locations, the price is 139. And so you have to have this code when you click the QR code your bulletin, um, your worship guide this morning, or online, just simply click that. We'll get the code to you this morning if we can help you with that in the foyer. But man, GLS, Global Leadership Summit, it is a global uh, leadership opportunity to grow. There's, there's churches and organizations from all around the world that join together, and we're one of the host sites for that. So that's pretty exciting, and uh, it's something that you won't regret, and it will make your, make your leadership stronger and better, and will make your workplace stronger and better too. Sound good? All right, well, let's jump back in here. Well, how do we do this? How do we uh, take the focus on ourselves and understand the idea that it starts with us and make the workplace happier? How do I choose to be happy at work, especially when that environment maybe is not the best environment? It's not the most healthy all the time. Well, we're gonna jump back into Philippians. We're gonna go to Philippians chapter two, verses 19 through 30. And um, this part of Philippians, Pastor Cameron mentioned it last week, and we encourage you to do this. It only takes about 14 minutes to read through the whole book of Philippians. And so I encourage you during this series, read it a couple times every week and see what God teaches you, what God shows you. And many times when I've read Philippians, this is a portion of, uh, of scripture that sometimes I just kind of skipped over it. I didn't, I didn't really think on it too much, but there's some powerful stuff here that's gonna uh, contribute to what we're talking about today. But again, Philippians chapter two, verses 19 through 30, we find Paul, who's in prison, writing this letter back to the Philippians, right? And he's talking about two guys. And I think they, they display some attributes that we can grab a hold of here this morning. So let's read it together. Whether you have your Bible or on your phone, it'll be on the screens as well. In verse 19, if the Lord Jesus is willing, and this is Paul speaking, I hope to send Timothy to you for a visit, soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're, you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. 
I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Verse 25, meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, a coworker, a fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you had heard that he was ill, and he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have, have one sorrow after another. Verse 28, so I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Again, a passage, when you read it, it's good, but it might be something that you skip over, but we shouldn't skip over it this morning because I truly believe that there's some qualities here in these two men that Paul talks about that if we'll adopt those qualities, it will make us different, it'll make us happier, and it'll make our workplace different and happier if we'll apply these things and adopt these things to our life. Sound good? And uh, it's kind of like this. I'll give you this example. We recently sold our home and bought a new home, moved closer to town, and, and uh, uh, we, I guess, just love taking older homes and painting and ripping down wallpaper and stuff. I'm, I'm about done with that. We've done it way too many times, but here we are again doing this with a new house. And, uh, but this new house is pretty cool. It's got a pool. I've never had a pool before, so I'm learning how to manage and keep a pool, and it's a lot, lot more work than I realized. We went on vacation last week, and when we got back, I walked in the, we got home late at night, and I didn't see it till the next morning. I come out, and our pool has got a little bit of a green tint to it. <laughs> and I was like, that's not good. That doesn't look good. I don't want to swim in that. And even on the walls, had some little bit of some green to it. So I, I got a sample of the water. I went to the pool store, and I looked at the guy. He tested it. I was like, what do I do? He gave me a list of what to do. I came home, and I had to hit it with seven pounds of shock, these seven bags of shock that I had to put in the pool. I also had to pour this acid stuff in the pool. I'm still learning the terminology and the names of it. I also sat there and wondered, why do we swim in this? I was like, man, this stuff is potent. It's strong. It's powerful. And, and here we are swimming in, uh, in these chemicals. But hey, 48 hours later, the pool looked great, and everything was good, and now we're swimming in it again. We haven't grown a third, third arm. Uh, obviously, I've, I've measured everything everything out good and, and no issues there. And, um, but just like that, just like I had to do that with the pool, here's the deal. For those of you that have a workplace that's not that happy, and you just wouldn't describe your workplace as necessarily a happy place or a healthy place, again, it's all about you. And there are some things that you can, a change agent, just like I had to put in the pool to make it healthy again, to make it clean again, you might be that actual change agent that God wants to use in your workplace. Maybe he has you there just for a time as this to use you and to do things in your life that will have not only an effect on you, but those around you in your workplace. He wants to do that in and through your life. And I believe there's some qualities here that we just read from that if we'll adopt them, it'll make a huge difference in the workplace. So here we go. We're going to jump in. Four qualities that produce happiness in the workplace. Number one, looking at these two guys that Paul wrote about. They were caring. Number one, they were caring. That's a great place to start. You gotta actually care about your job. <laughs> you gotta actually care about the people that you work with or the people that you work for. And my question to you is, are you known at your workplace as someone who is actually caring? 
that actually cares about others. Just as in every area of life, we have to care about the needs of those around us in the workplace. If all I ever think about is me, myself, and I, I'm going to be a pretty miserable person to be around and to work with. If I truly want the place where I work to be happy, then I've got to move the focus off of myself. I know that's a little bit tough to swallow, but I've got to actually be caring. Paul gives Timothy as an example here of this quality. He says in verse 20 and 21 of the passage that we read, I have no one else like him. That's pretty, pretty high praise there for a young guy that's been hanging out with Paul, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone else looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Would you say that's pretty true of our world today, that we don't really look out for the needs and the concerns and the care of other people? We live in a very, very selfish world that's all about us and self-absorbed in, in what's going on in ourselves and our world. And even all of us in this room are a little guilty of that from time to time. Everyone seems to look out for their own interest, not the interest of others. And again, we live in a very selfish world. I actually did a, some search on articles on how to not be selfish at work, okay? That's what I typed in. I was looking for articles on how to not be selfish at work, and to my surprise, there were way more articles that popped up about why you should be selfish at work than those that said you shouldn't. Um, it was pretty crazy. Multiple articles that popped up saying why it was important for you to look out for yourself and just be selfish in the workplace. In fact, one of them was entrepreneur.com. The title of the article was this, want to get ahead, question mark, be selfish, right? That was the title of it. Look, I get it, right? Um, as an employee, you need to work hard. You got you to have a strong work ethic you got to work hard to improve your ability of what you're asked to do. You want to strive to get better. You want to strive for promotions and raises. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, we want to do that. We want to get better, but not at the expense of others, not at the expense of trampling the others around us in the workplace. I believe that we can actually accomplish both if we do it the right way, right? We can actually be promoted and also care about the people around it if we do it the way God, Jesus has called us to do it. If we go in with the right mindset and the right focus, God might actually promote us um, as we actually take the time to care for other people that we work with, right? You even see it throughout the Old Testament examples of like a Daniel who was shoved into a position um, in a situation that he didn't wanna be in, but he trusted the Lord in that situation and God elevated him. And, 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 and gave him influence, right? And I think the same thing can be true of us in the workplace. I love uh, that, that Paul here, when he's describing Timothy, he, he says he shows, Timothy shows a genuine interest. He's unselfish. The Good News Translation says that he genuinely cares about you. Others seem to always care about themselves. So in your notes, it says this, in order to be caring, we have to shift our focus. We gotta shift our focus. A key to happiness in the workplace is you've got to shift your focus. You've got to shift your focus away from yourself and onto other people and actually show care for your coworkers. And a lot of you are like, man, you don't know who I work with. <laughs> you, don't, you don't see who I work with. I, I get it. I understand. But I'm telling you, there's something powerful that's going to be unlocked if you actually take the time to care for them. If we shift our focus off of ourselves and onto others, an interesting thing happens. Care goes up. Comparison goes down when we shift our focus off of ourselves and onto other people. Now, there's a disclaimer with that. You've got to shift the focus with the right heart, okay? 
If you shift your focus with the right heart, and that's the heart of Jesus, to be other-focused, then your care goes up. Your care and your joy and your happiness will go up no matter the environment that you're working in. I can guarantee you that. Now, if you shift your focus with the wrong heart, in other words, a heart that's selfish and it's only about you, then all of a sudden as you shift your focus and you start looking at these coworkers and other people, you begin to be filled with comparison and insecurity and sometimes even jealousy, right? And that's not the right focus. Teddy Roosevelt once said that comparison is the thief of joy. I couldn't agree more. Can I give you an antidote to uh, comparison and jealousy if that's something that you're struggling with? And let's be honest in this room. We've all compared ourselves to other people. We've all been jealous at different times, right? I think if you got a pulse, you've probably dealt with that a time or two, right? But here's a cool anecdote right, for that. How about you pray for that coworker that just got the promotion over you? Woo, that's tough, right? You don't want to do that. But I'm telling you, something is unlocked, something powerful happens when the guy, the lady, whoever, the coworker, or the individual at work got the promotion when you wanted it, but you take a moment to say, you know what, God, I don't know why, but they got the promotion, but God, I pray that you'd bless them. I pray that you take care of them. I pray that this promotion helps them and helps their family and that you would bless them. There's something powerful about that. If you wanna go a step further, then publicly praise the person that you're jealous of. <laughs> like that will stomp it out real fast, right? To actually take a moment and realize, okay, I'm really jealous of this coworker and that's all coming from the wrong heart. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go to this group and say, you know what, this guy over here is killing it. He did such a great job on this project. And man, he, he did such a great job. There's just something about that that takes the focus and shifts the focus off of us and onto others and it squashes comparison, it squashes jealousy, and joy and happiness goes up, goes up. So when we shift our focus off of others and care for those that we work with, the happier we are, and honestly, the happier our workplace is, okay? So that's number one, they were caring. Number two, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, these two guys, they were consistent. They were consistent. Are you known at your workplace as someone who is consistent? In other words, being consistent means you do what you say. You show up on time, there's a good idea, right? It means that you get things done. And if that's the case, then you know what? You're someone who's reliable, you're someone who's dependable, really, you're someone who is trustworthy. And I don't know about you, but I wanna be trustworthy in every area of my life, including the workplace. So Paul, again, uses Timothy as an example of this in verse 22. He says, but you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served with me in preaching the good news. And I love the way the message translation says this verse. He says, but you know yourselves that Timothy's the real thing. I love that. It's like Timothy's the real deal. The question is, are we the real thing? Are we the real deal in the workplace? It's obvious that the more people trust you, the more consistent you are, then the more happier you're gonna be, the more happier your workplace is gonna be. It's gonna have a positive impact on your workplace. And if you learn to be trustworthy, if you learn to be reliable, if you learn to be consistent, then you learn to be uh, someone that people can trust and it has a huge, huge impact of those around you. So in your notes, in order to be consistent, you have to live with integrity. Integrity is a big part of this, being, of working and living consistently. Why is this important? Well, according to a 2021 study on traits and qualities that employers look for in employees, guess what was at the top? 
It was loyalty and integrity time and time again. Every, every time I looked at these, these lists multiple times, it was integrity, it was loyalty. Integrity doesn't mean that you're perfect. If perfection was required for integrity, then none of us would have integrity because nobody's perfect, we're all flawed. But integrity means that it's saying you mean what you say, right? You, you, you're gonna do what you mean. You're gonna show up. You're gonna be consistent. You're the real deal. You're the real thing. Making sure that my actions match my words. That's integrity, right? Proverbs 25, 13, it says, reliable friends who do what they say are like cool drinks and sweltering heat. They're refreshing. I wanna be that at my job. I wanna be that in the workplace. I want that for us, right? that we are refreshing to those around us, right? That's a great verse. The opposite of that, Proverbs 25, 19, it says, putting confidence in an unreliable person is like chewing with a toothache or walking on a broken foot, right? What a great description of what that looks like, the opposite. What are we saying here? The greatest ability is dependability. It's teachability. And the question is, in the workplace, is that you? Is that me? It's more important than any other ability in your life. The greatest ability is dependability, teachability. Proverbs 28, 20, honest people will lead a full, happy life. Do you wanna be happy? Yes, in life, absolutely. And do you wanna lead a full, happy life even in the workplace? Then that's how you do it. The second thing here under this point is in order to be consistent, you have to keep your promises. We have to keep our promises. Psalms 15, four talks about these people always do what they promise, it says no matter how much it costs them. I actually like this verse better in the King James Version because it says this in the King James. It says, God blesses the person who sweareth to his own hurt. You might read that and think, what in the world does that mean? It basically means that you keep a promise and then you find out that it's gonna cost you more than you promised, but yet you still keep your promise. It's, it's, it's saying I'm gonna charge you this for the work I'm about to do, and then when you study it a little bit more and you see the prices of building materials go up and you realize you're gonna get, take a wash, take a bath on this, it's you not turning around and kicking up the price and being dishonest. It's saying, no, I'm still gonna keep that price because I kept that, I wanna keep that promise, right? That's integrity, that's keeping, keeping a promise, right? Number three, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they were considerate. They were caring, they were consistent, and number three, they were considerate. Uh, you would think that this would be common sense in today's world, but it's just not. The art of being considerate of other people, we're, it's less and less and less. You can see that all around us. Um, and the more considerate you are of other people in this life and in your workplace, the happier you're gonna be, and, the, and, and it's just gonna be a ripple effect in the workplace if you're actually taking the time to be considerate of other people that you work with, other people in your life. Paul's saying that you've gotta learn to be thoughtful. You've gotta learn to be kind, actually kind and sympathetic and understanding of others in the workplace. Again, he gives Epaphroditus as an example in verse 26. I'm sending him, this is Epaphroditus that he's sending, because he's been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. Notice that in this verse, there's two examples of being considerate and consideration. Number one is Paul. Paul is considerate of his coworker, his, his friend here, Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus' concern. He said Epaphroditus is really homesick, is what he's saying. He wants to come back, he wants to go back home. He wants to be with you, he longs to see you. And Paul is considerate of his coworker's concern. 
And then Epaphroditus is considerate about the Philippians, the Philippians' concern. They had heard that he, on the way home from Rome, had gotten very sick and nearly died. They were afraid that their friend had, it was not going to be returning home. And the Bible says in the message that he wants to get back and reassure you that he's fine. See, this is a key to happiness. The more considerate you learn to be of your coworkers' needs, your coworkers' doubts and fears, and learn to just get in their world and know who they are and be considerate, you learn to, to be happier yourself and you create a happiness in the workplace, a place that you're actually being considerate of their, of their life and what's going on in their world, and you never know the doors that God opens for you to actually minister to a coworker, right? 1 Corinthians 1.10 says you must, so this looks like there's no option in this, okay? You must get along with each other. How many of you want to just skip over that verse? <laughs> we, want to, we want to take that one out sometimes, right? But it says you must get along with each other. You must learn to be considerate. You must learn to be considerate to one another, cultivating a life in common. We all ought to memorize that verse, I think, all of us, right? We must learn to be considerate. There's this idea of cultivating. It's not easy, guys. We're human, right? And we probably all have an environment sometimes that we've worked in where the, the people, they're tough to work with. But it's something we work at. We begin to cultivate that considerate heart towards those that we work with, right? And so in order to be considerate, you've got to learn this. You've got to learn to cooperate. You've got to learn to cooperate. Cooperation, I love that word because that's really teamwork, and I love the concept of teamwork, you know, sports teams and coaches and teams working for the common goal of winning a championship, winning a game, scoring a goal, scoring a touchdown, whatever it may be. It's a skill in working together. And the same thing's true in the workplace. There has to be cooperation. There has to be teamwork. And Paul gives Epaphroditus an example of this quality. In verse 25, he says, I send back to you Epaphroditus. And he lists three things here. My brother my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. You see, he's, he's, he's using these, these three relational metaphors and they're teamwork terms. I love that about it. He says, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. And these are all team, or terms that describe cooperation and teamwork. And there has to come a point where we realize that my coworker's not my enemy, they're my teammate. And if you'll see them through, the, through those, that lens and those eyes, of cooperation and consideration, it changes, it changes everything. So they were caring, they were consistent, they were considerate, and finally, number four, they were committed. These two guys were committed, and um, there's no question that Epaphroditus was committed. I mean, come on, like, let's, let's look at this again in verse 27 and verse 30. Paul describes these words about Epaphroditus. Verse 27, and he certainly was ill, in fact, he almost died. And then in verse 30, it says, for he risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at that point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. That's some commitment right there. Let's look, give a little background to this, okay? Paul is in prison in Rome. Okay, that's right. He's not writing this book. He's not writing this letter to the Philippians from sitting on the beach with a cold drink, right? He's, he's in prison writing these words of encouragement back to the Philippian church. The Philippians are in Greece near Athens. So Paul's in Rome. The Philippians are in Greece. It's an 800-mile trip between the two. They're 800 miles away from each other. The Philippian church decides, hey, we're going to send a care package to Paul while he's in prison, 
They come up with this idea, but guys, there's no planes. <laughs> there's no Uber. There's no, there's no trains. There's no planes. There's no automobiles, right? There's none of that, right? And it's 800 miles between each other. The only way that you're going to get to Rome from, from this Philippian church is to walk. And it's going to take 800 miles of walking to deliver this offering, this care gift from the Philippians to Paul. And Epaphroditus, a member of that church, raises his hand and says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll walk 800 miles and I'll take him this gift. I'll walk 800 miles through thick and thin, through robbers and thieves, battling armies and all kinds of things. And I'll walk 800 miles just to take a gift from our church to this guy, Paul. You see, in your notes here, in order to be committed, we have to identify with what's most important. We've got to identify with what's most important. I'm not really speaking right now of a commitment to your job. Obviously, that's part of it. We've been talking about the workplace. I know that this morning. You need to be committed to your job. You need to be committed to your workplace. You need to be committed to your coworkers and your boss and that job description. That's a good thing. I'm not saying that's bad. But if that is your number one main commitment in life, then we've missed it. Then our, our, our priorities are out of alignment. We've got to be committed to what's most important. Yeah, the commitment to the job is important, right? But if we get that completely out of whack, if all life is about a commitment to a job so that I can get a bigger bank account and I can move up the ladder of so-called success within my company or my job or whatever, those things are okay. Those things are good. They're not bad. But if that is my full-on life's commitment, We've missed it. You see, Epaphroditus and Timothy, they were committed. Obviously, they were committed to do what they did. They were committed to Paul, their coworker, their leader. Paul had mentored Timothy, and so Timothy was committed to him. Epaphroditus, obviously, as we described, went 800 miles to bring him a gift. He was committed. But really, their real main important commitment was greater than that. It was to Jesus. It was to their heavenly Father. And that's what I'm talking about this morning as we kind of close things down right now. We're talking about the workplace, but can I remind you that your most important commitment ever in this life, the greatest decision that you'll ever make is to say yes to Jesus and surrender your heart and your life to him. That's got to be the most important commitment in your life. And if it's not, then guess what, guys? The money eventually runs out. The promotions run out. You retire, and all of a sudden, you've got nothing. Um, those things are great for a while, and they're not bad things, but if that's the sole focus, if that's the sole commitment, then we've missed it. What is the most important thing that you're committed to? And I want to challenge you with that. And that's why each week we, during this series, we wanted to give you a summer vibes to memorize, a verse to memorize from our message. Now, Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Cameron did a great job. They picked a passage from Philippians, okay? I'm cheating today. <laughs> I'm picking from a different book. Is that okay? You forgive me? I'm not picking from Philippians, but uh, I'm picking from Colossians, and Paul wrote Colossians too, so does that make up for it? Is that okay? Okay, I'm gonna do it anyway. But in Colossians chapter three, verses 23 and 24, it says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord. That tells me right there, guys, here's the deal. If your most important commitment is to Jesus Christ, you're not perfect, you're growing, but you're trying to grow in Christ-like conduct, character, and convictions, and he's the sole focus of your life, he's the most important commitment of your life, guess what's gonna get better? 
everything, including your J-O-B, including the atmosphere and the environment of your workplace. It's gonna get healthier. It's gonna get better because you're in it. Not to draw attention to you, but it's drawing attention to your heavenly father because that's your most important commitment. Not, not the money, not the role, not the, not the position. And honestly, what this verse is telling us no matter what we do, we should work at it with all of our heart because it's as if we're working for the Lord. We are working for the Lord. Maybe that boss is difficult to work with and to work for. And for right now, you're in a season where you're just at that job and that's the way it is. But I want you to walk in with a different perspective tomorrow saying, you know what? I'm working for the Lord, not necessarily for him, right? It's a change of perspective and priorities to make sure that the most important commitment in our life is to Jesus Christ not to that job. Does that make sense to you guys? And what I wanna do right now at all locations is just ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And as we close today, I wanna ask a question. This is actually a great question, statement that Pastor Dan Chinowski from our NAC campus mentioned the other day in a meeting as we were talking about today. So I'm gonna steal it from him. So Nacogdoches, don't tell Pastor Dan that I'm stealing this from him. But I think it just fits well to wrap it up today. So close your eyes, bow your heads, and think of this question for a moment. Does my work bring me happiness or do I bring happiness to my work? And I think that really wraps up what we're talking about today. Because here's the deal, the first question, does my work bring me happiness? At the end of the day, it's not gonna bring you the real happiness that only Jesus can give you. When he is the most important commitment of our life, when he's the sole focus, we bring happiness with us to work no matter the environment, no matter the situation, no matter how toxic or healthy or unhealthy it is, we're bringing happiness with us because God, we're working as unto Him, amen? So as I pray this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, two things I wanna ask. Number one, maybe you're sitting here and as we talk about the workplace, you're realizing, you know what? I've had it out of my priorities out of whack and, and, and I need to realize today that my most important commitment needs to be Jesus Christ. I've never made a commitment to say, you know what, Jesus, I wanna put you first. I wanna make you Lord and Savior of my life to forgive me of my sins, and I wanna begin to follow you. Or maybe you're wanting to do that as a recommitment today. If that's you this morning and you realize that's the place you need to start today, would you just raise your hand so we can pray for you if you wanna make a commitment to Jesus this morning? Thank you, guys. Awesome. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for those that have raised their hand this morning at all locations and online, Lord. And God, that's where it starts. If we really truly want to be happy in this life and we want to bring happiness with us and create a happiness even in the workplace, it starts with a commitment to you. And for those that have raised their hand as a commitment for the first time or the first time in a long time this morning, God, I pray that, God, that they would just surrender their hearts to you, God, and that you would begin to, to show them the life that you have for them, God, that you've forgiven them of their sins, that God, moving forward, we're not perfect, God, but we wanna follow you in Christ-like conduct, convictions. God, that you would just bless them, and God, that they would begin to grow in this relationship or this recommitment to that relationship with you, Jesus. Amen. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, I wanna pray for everybody else in this room, and I wanna pray this prayer, that God would help us especially for those of you today that may walk in tomorrow morning back to your job in a place that, again, may not be the happiest place. And maybe you're in a job in a season of life where it's been pretty miserable, but that your perspective would be changed this morning because of these two men we read about in this passage. 
and that you would take these qualities that we found and that you would begin to adopt them in your life and in your workplace and that God would do that and work through you to create that place to be a happier place. God, help us to do that. Help us to be more caring. Help us to see our coworkers through your eyes, Lord God, as much as they may drive us crazy. Help us to see that boss or that employee through your eyes and show genuine care for them. God, that we would be consistent. God, that we would be um, uh, just committed to them while we're also committed to you, God. God, help us to be considerate as well, Lord God. God, help us to adopt these qualities, Lord, and let it not only change our lives, but let it be that change agent, God, that begins to transform and change the workplace, not to bring attention to me, but to you, God, and you alone. God, we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.